I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to my first ever podcast. I'm Freddie Dobbs, and this is Freedom Machines with Dobbs. Throughout the series, I'll be looking at everything motorcycle related, whether it's reviews on the current motorcycles that I've got on test, biking gear, great riding roads, and I may also throw in a bit of car related stuff as well. I hope to, in later episodes, get some fellow bikers on, both from the UK and around the world. But for now, it seems like a perfect place to start to go through my biking history and tell you a bit about how I got into biking and also how I chose my first motorbike. So from a very young age, probably from 15 or so, I was absolutely addicted to cars and it's all I cared about. So every single penny of money that I'd get from my part-time jobs while at school would go towards saving up for a car. And I think in my, my first, oh, I'll just turn off my phone. In my first three years or so of passing my driving test, I must have got through about 12 cars. I started off with a Vauxhall Nova, then a Nissan Sunny, and they were never good cars and they never cost more than about 500 pounds. I then went to university and sold my car because I couldn't afford to own one. But that lasted about three, probably three months or so before I realized that I couldn't live without a car. So I bought a 200 pound Ford Fiesta with no front bumper. And I just drove it like that until the police took it off me. And I was forced to buy a Mark II Golf as my 10th car or so. Then after university, I got into a recruitment job and it was a job I really didn't like. And suddenly in that job where I was so bored every day, I just realized I need some excitement. And all of a sudden, something in my mind completely switched from cars to motorbikes. And that was at the age of 25. And literally within three weeks of suddenly getting the urge to pass my bike test, I'd booked in my direct access course, which in in the UK 
is a course where within five days you can go from never having ridden a motorcycle before to passing your CBT, which is the 125cc test, passing your theory, passing your module one, which is where you ride around effectively a car park going around cones, and then your mod two, which is where you're out on the road with an instructor. So I booked all of that in, did my five days with an instructor, and I was fairly confident. So I passed the theory test first time, and I rode down with my instructor and a fellow trainee. And the ride from the instructor studio was about one hour to the test center, and we rode in a convoy of three. And when I get nervous, I annoyingly, I black out. So we got to the test center. I was called into the, the test area with all of the cones set out where you have to do figures of eight and brake test and things. And when I, when I black out because I get nervous, I, everything goes out of my head. I start hyperventilating, this case in my helmet, and everything I've learned goes out the window. So halfway through this 15-minute test... I got to the figure of eight and I was riding around the cones for the figure of eight and I suddenly completely forgot where I was and I didn't know if I was halfway through the figure of eight or if I'd only just started. So I blacked out and I ended up putting both feet down and had to say to the examiner, I'm so sorry, I've, I've forgotten where I am. And he then immediately said, okay, carry on. And I said to him, I failed, haven't I? And he replied, no, just do your best from here. So I carried on the rest of the test knowing that I'd failed. And what's worse than that is that the, the lady who was doing her test with me passed easily. So we rode back for an hour to the examiner's studio, her having passed her mod one and me in the depths of depression having failed. And that was one of the loneliest, most boring rides back I've had. Anyway, immediately after that, I decided to book in my Mod 1 again. And I was very, very short with money. I think I had £300 left. And I, I decided to myself, I'll try one more time to pass my Mod 1 test. Otherwise, that's it for biking. It's too expensive. I spent £600 already and I just can't afford it. So I booked the test and luckily, the second time around, I passed it. And then later that day, I had the Mod 2 out on the road. And I managed to pass that one first time. And it was a feeling a bit like winning the lottery. It was one of the happiest days of my life, just knowing that when I got home, I'd be able to get onto eBay or Auto Trader and look for a motorbike that I could buy and ride freely without any restrictions on engine size or having any L plates or anything like that. That was a really, really big deal for me. So as I was thinking about the type of bike that I should buy, I listened to a lot of different people because none of my friends at the time could ride. None of them had a, a license and there wasn't really anyone that I knew of to get some inspiration for. So I started looking at bikes that I thought would be sensible. And the most sensible bike was the Honda CB500F. That's a bike that you usually have in the, 
the test centers and the, the learner studios where you learn to ride. They give you these very simple, well-built, reliable bikes that are very basic, but they do the job really well. So I decided on this bike. I went on to Auto Trader, found one for £1,750. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's a good, sensible bike. So I ended up spending my money on the bike riding it for the first evening and it was an incredible feeling i could not have been happier and it was a great first week riding it it really was and i remember showing it to my friends and riding it everywhere and the feeling was that wow you can ride a bike but not wow that's a cool bike and you look really cool on that bike and i know it's a vain thing but it matters to bikers you know you want to look good on a bike and you want to have a bike that you're genuinely proud of and this was around the same time that I'd started off a night shift job at B&Q, which is uh, a wholesale goods, uh, not a wholesale, a goods warehouse that sells doors and timber and things like that. And one of my good friends there was an Irish biker that really started getting me interested in, in different cooler models of bike and explaining what, for example, a fairing is on a bike and what differences there are between the Japanese bikes and the Harleys and things like that because at the time I didn't even know what a fairing meant he had to actually explain what a fairing was so he imparted a huge amount of knowledge on me he was very kind about my first bike the Honda but he also helped give me a few ideas for my second bike and actually going back to it a bit I remember on my first night riding to the B&Q warehouse. I used to work from 8 p.m. to 12 p.m. every night stacking shelves. I was coming around a roundabout on my brand new to me bike. And I came to the roundabout way too quickly, decided to pull the clutch in because I was freaking out that I was going to crash and then realized that I shouldn't pull the clutch in for going around a bend, let the clutch go and I fishtailed for about six seconds and I was so close to writing off my first ever bike on the first night I'd ever had it. So I rode back at about 20 miles an hour the whole way. But anyway, three weeks after owning my Honda, just getting back to this and the mistake that I made with my first bike. Three weeks in, I decided, okay, now I... I want a bike that I'm proud of. I want a bike that I really want. I realized that it probably wasn't the right decision to go out and buy a bike because I thought it was sensible. You know, biking is something you do as a passion. It's a passionate process. And I have gone out and bought a Ford Mondeo of biking and I, it just didn't do anything for me. And I'd found another bike that I quite like the look of. So I needed to sell my Honda quickly. And I ended up selling my Honda for a £400 loss in the first three weeks of owning it. But that's just what I'm like with buying and selling things. I'm extremely impulsive and I end up losing money on almost every vehicle I've ever owned. So I sold the Honda for a £400 loss and ended up buying a red Suzuki RF600. Uh, this was a fully fared bike with plastics on. And I thought, this is great. It cost me £790 and it looks cool. It's a sports bike. And this is the type of bike that I'd like. Only to find out two weeks later, just from what people were saying, that actually this bike's probably less cool than the Honda. So I'd made another mistake. But that's just what you go through when you start riding. It's really hard to tell. You know, the type of biking gear that's cool, the type of bikes that are cool and 
where you should really start from. So I ended up, my first two bikes, being bikes that I didn't really like, weren't good, weren't reliable, and kind of wondering where to go from there, actually. Because this Suzuki RF600 was the least reliable bike I've ever owned. I remember going to my jobs. I had a cleaning job in the morning and I had a warehouse job in the evening. And every single morning, I'd have to wake up one hour before I'd actually physically have to leave because I wouldn't be able to start it. It would be like owning a bobsleigh. I'd have to push it to the top of the hill, run down the hill as fast as I could with a Suzuki by my side, leap on it, and if it didn't start the first time, I'd have to push it all the way back up to the top of the hill and try push starting it again. So by the time I'd got to work, I would stink like I'd just played 90 minutes on a football pitch. And I kept that bike probably for about seven months doing exactly the same thing, push starting it until I finally got what I would class as the first proper bike that I was really proud of. And that's a Triumph Speed Triple, 2007 model, 1000cc engine. And this bike cost me 4,000 pounds. And it's a bike that I kept for five years and I was hugely proud of it. So that's a bit of the history of my first three bikes. But choosing the gear was almost as difficult as choosing the bikes because 10 years ago, when I passed my test, you didn't have Instagram and you did have social media, but it didn't have the same, the same reach and the same pull for, for showing different products. So it was incredibly difficult to try and find cool gear. You know, you've seen in the movies people wearing the cool traditional leather jackets and that's the type of thing that I wanted. But all that you could find in the shops at the time were sports jackets. So either bright green fluorescent touring jackets or full leather race suits because the sports bikes were all the fashion back then. Um, so I went into the shop and... I didn't really know what to think because I didn't really like any of the gear, but I had no choice and I didn't have any reference points for someone who I could ask. So I ended up buying a pair of high plasticky boots and a full leather suit, trousers and jacket. And with that, I bought some fairly plasticky looking gloves and a helmet that I didn't like with, with a pattern on the side. And I wore this gear for about a month before again, I realized, bugger. I've made a mistake. I've just gone out and spent 300 pounds on a whole load of gear that I don't like. And during the first month, I got over, well, I got overexcited when I passed. I went out immediately and I spent all my money on biking gear. But as I was riding for the first month, I realized this isn't the type of bike that I want. And this isn't the type of gear that I want to be riding in. So because I couldn't find or figure out where to buy any other stuff apart from this one shop in the UK called JNS Accessories, which is incredibly generic. They're good at what they do, which is general biking gear for people who, you know, want to commute and, you know, you have the plasticky style shoes and, and the, the kind of more safety related items, um, which don't have style at the forefront. So it's great for the basic stuff, but it's not cool stuff that you go in and you, you desperately want to buy. But I went in again about a month after passing to see if I could find a jacket that I would actually feel proud of wearing. 
And I looked around and there was nothing. But I remember going upstairs to this JNS Accessories in southwest London, and right in the corner, I saw a classically styled 1950s, 1960s black leather jacket, exactly as you'd expect from, I forget the name, but there's a Marlon Brando film, very famous from the 1950s, and he's riding around in a gang with a Triumph, and it's exactly the same style as that jacket. And I remember thinking, my God, I, I need to buy this jacket. This is the first jacket I've seen in any biking shop that I genuinely would absolutely love. And I tried it on and it was perfect. And that was nine, nine and a half years ago. And you'll still see me on Instagram wearing that same jacket, Frank Thomas jacket, 170 pounds. And I still wear it more than any other jacket to this day. And that's the value of buying gear or a motorbike that you really like. You end up saving money in the long run, whether it's buying a bike. If I would have gone out straight and bought my dream bike, I would have saved money from losing all of that money every time I'd buy and sell a bike and then it would break and I'd lose 500 pounds on it until I got to my first bike that I loved, the Triumph Speed Triple. I probably would have saved about one and a half thousand pounds. And it's the same with the riding gear. It's better to wait until you found an item that you absolutely love. Because an item that you absolutely love, just as a bike that you absolutely love, in the long run, it will save you money because it's the thing that you cherish more than something that you're more iffy about. The Triumph Speed Triple was the first bike that I ever did an international tour on. I went with a friend of mine and we rode from London all the way down to Croatia. So that's getting down to the, the, the ferry port on the south coast of England, Dover, getting the ferry across to northern France, Calais, and then riding down through France. We went through Germany. I think we went through Luxembourg and all the way down until we got through Slovenia to Croatia. And the whole trip took about 10 days. And that still to this day is the biggest ever trip I've done. And I remember at the time people saying you can't tour on a speed triple because it's so aggressive and, you know, the seat isn't the biggest and most comfortable. But it did an incredible job. My the friend of mine had a CB Honda CBR 600, which, of course, isn't exactly the most perfect tour as well. But that trip alone just really kind of shed so much light on the joy of a big riding trip whether it's a 10 day or two week trip or even just a three day trip to Wales or every time that you go abroad renting out a bike for example and do a little mini trip within a holiday it's just so amazingly fun and the feeling of freedom is something that's addictive and still to this day in fact, I'm even more excitable now about that idea of a big biking trip than I was then. It's just an incredible feeling. So after those five years and something, something like 30,000 miles with the Speed Triple, the business that I had at the time, which was a recruitment business, ended up starting not to do quite as well. So as it was winding down and eventually closed... I realized I had to sell my car and my motorbike. And this was 
a big problem for me. First of all, I sold my car. I had a lo lovely Jaguar XK and I sold that. And that was the easy decision because it cost so much to run. But selling my bike, my Triumph Speed Triple, that was one of the hardest decisions I've made. In fact, Monica at the time, she told me, don't sell it or I'll buy it off you. She was that adamant that I should keep it. But I ended up selling it anyway. I sold it, as I always do, for a huge loss, something like £2,800 I sold it for, which was a ridiculous price. And I thought, okay, that's fine. For now, I'll probably spend the next year or so until I get back on my feet with absolutely no motorbike. So I sold the bike, very nice guy came to pick it up, he took the bike, rode it away, no issue at all. Two to three weeks after that, I again realized I'd made a big mistake and I didn't, I didn't want to be without a motorbike, but I didn't have the money to go back out and buy a nice bike. So I ended up going onto eBay with a budget of £800. And going onto eBay with a budget of £800, trying to find a bike after you've had a lovely Triumph Speed Triple is tough and a little bit depressing. So I managed to narrow down my search to, well, not a very big list because there isn't much. In the UK, to give you an idea, it's really difficult to find a bike for under a thousand pounds. Any bike over 600cc, trying to get it for under a thousand, it's slim pickings. And I'm sure most Brits will know one bike that tops the list, that's cheap, fairly reliable and just about well made enough to be a good everyday bike is a Suzuki Bandit and I'm sure a huge amount of people will either have owned a Suzuki Bandit or know someone that's owned one. So I found an electric blue one on eBay which was running as a one-week auction and it was at £750 at the time that I put the bid in. I put my maximum bid in of £810 and I ended up winning, winning the auction. And I was absolutely over the moon just to know that I'd be back on the road again. So I, I, in fact, I didn't drive down. I ended up getting a train down to a small village and I picked the bike up off an Irish man who'd been here working in London but had decided to relocate back to Ireland. And I arrived at their house and it was his wife that answered. And I, I said to her, hello, I'm here to pick up the bandit. And she said, oh, thank God, I absolutely hate that bike. So that was a good start. So I ended up paying the man his money, rode off, and I could see how delighted they both were to be rid of the bike. And funnily enough, this bandit, although I did ride to Holland on it, London to Holland and back, I don't know how I did it. It was the, the least reliable bike I've ever had, even worse than the Suzuki RF600. It was so unreliable that I'd have to take almost a full toolkit with me everywhere I'd go, and I would be at best a 50-50 chance of making the journey back without it breaking down. Just pulling over on the side of the motorways, taking the tank off for squeezed fuel lines that would no longer get fuel to the bike. It was an absolute nightmare of a bike to own. But I ended up, I ended up fixing it. Um, because I didn't really know what to do with it. I, I quite liked it, actually. It was a, a good bike and extremely fun to ride. And the good thing about it, actually, just going off on a tangent, 
with a bike that's 800 pounds. I rode from London to Holland. I also rode all the, all the way around the Lake District. I did a lot of mileage on it. And the good thing about a bike like this is that you don't care about it. So when I went on a ride with a group of friends of mine to the Lake District, which is a beautiful area to the north of England, with probably the best riding roads in England, I, I could keep up with absolutely anything. And this isn't me bragging as a good biker, it's just purely the fact that this is a perfectly decent bike, 80 horsepower or so, and you don't need to care about it. So you can push it so much without worrying about it that you, it's just mind-blowing what you can keep up with. And that is kind of why I still got this weird attachment to either really good value bikes or just cheap secondhand bikes or cars. They are fun because it completely removes the element of any type of paranoia about damaging the vehicle. But going back to it, I, I needed to really get rid of the, the Bandit because I was in another job and I decided to take out a loan to buy a Bonneville. So I got the Bandit fixed to the best of my ability, whereby it rode and it rode fine. And for the past month, at least, it hadn't broken down. So I was fairly confident that this was now just about a solid bike. So I put it on eBay and once a bike gets down to 800 pounds, it never goes down. So I did about 12,000 miles on it and a nice Welsh guy bought the bike off me and he won it for 900 pounds. 100 pound increase somehow from what I bought it for, which I was over the moon with. Lovely guy, rode over from Wales to pick up the bike and we had a lovely chat, one and a half hour chat or so. And th this was his last 800 pounds, he was telling me, and I really do believe him. It was his last bit of money. He only had money to get back to Wales. Lovely chat, he rode off. One hour after, he rode off. I got a call and I thought, oh my God, but something's happened. And he called me and he said, Freddie, you have to take the bike back. You have to take it back. I'm on the side of the road and it's just broken down. And my heart just sank. For one, okay, money gone. That, that's great. From a selfish point of view, the money gone. But from two, he's, he's lost a day. I've just cost this guy a day of riding and he loves Bandit, so it's going to be his dream bike and he's stranded now. So I said, okay, okay, bring back the bike and I'll take it back. He didn't know what to do, so he had to wait for someone to come and collect the bike, but no one came. So he tried starting it again. It just about managed to start and he choked it over back to my apartment I took the bike back, I apologised, he went back to Wales and he would have been down a lot of money because public transport in the UK is very expensive. I felt awful, I put it back on eBay and I said, there's a, there's a running issue, every so often it will cut out. Put it back on eBay and it sold for £175. So there's a gigantic loss for me. Um, so I didn't really know what to think about that. I, I was a bit shocked and it was a surprise, but I just wanted to be rid of it. Moved on, went on to a loan company website to take out a loan for my real dream bike now, the Triumph Bonneville, which takes me exactly to where we are today. So this Bonneville that I've got, I ended up taking a loan out for getting a train up to 
I think it was somewhere around Yorkshire, in April, about two years ago. Bought it for £4,100, and it's been, without question, the best bike I've ever owned. And also, it's been the first bike I've ever owned where I've really felt like, yep, this is me. Not just the bike and the style of the bike, but it's what it represents because I love just cruising, cruising around to the coffee shop, jumping on the bike and just being able to relax and not feel every time like I have to put on full set of leathers, a bit like I did with my Speed Triple, because it gives a completely different vibe to riding when you've got a bike like a modern classic, a Bonneville and a cruiser as well. It just something in your mind changes. You can just jump onto the coffee shop. Monica can jump on the back and be in comfort. You know, you can ride at 30 and just enjoy the scenery. You don't feel like you have to try and get your knee down for every bend. And from that point of view, it's the bike that suits me most. And also, it's a bike that lends itself to, to riding in style. You know, you've got all of these really cool companies now, such as Panda, Moto, Rocker, Blackbird, people like this making great lifestyle gear that you can wear on and off the bike. And no category of bike lends itself to that lifestyle gear better than modern classics and also cruisers. And that's why I love it so much. And that brings us up pretty much to the present day with my biking history. Thank you so much for listening to my first ever podcast. I'm aiming to do this at least once a week. So if you do have any questions, please do fire them across to dob.bs at outlook.com. Thank you so much and have a good day. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.